Hello and welcome to another episode of the Midiara Meets podcast, the monthly music podcast where we talk to a wide range of people from the music world. This month we're speaking to Andrew Huang, who is a phenomenally talented YouTuber, musician, producer, composer, sound designer, educator, and now software developer. There is now a GoFundMe page for the podcast. If you'd like to support it with a few pounds or dollars, that would be greatly appreciated. Everything will go back into the running of the podcast. But without further ado, let's go straight into the interview. And the first question I asked Andrew was about his musical beginnings. That's a good one. I guess my mother played the piano and sang, so there's a lot of that going on in in our household. Uh, Definitely remember her playing a lot of tricky Chopin pieces, a lot of these like arpeggiated sort of... uh, piano lines or runs really fast stuff. Um, she was, she was quite a good pianist and, um, other early memories. I mean, I think that's definitely the earliest because for the first several years of my life, uh, pretty much my parents listened to classical music and we only had a piano in the house. (laughs) Superb. I mean, I think that's, uh, I was speaking to DJ rap on my last podcast and it was exactly the same for her growing up classic, just like total immersion in classical music. Yeah. It's interesting though too because they they listen to plenty of pop, but for some reason that didn't really come into my life until later. I don't know if they were going through a phase or if I just don't remember it, but it was like very classical for a, a few years. And then I don't know, maybe they were shielding me from it or something. Those those uh nasty pop lyrics or whatever like but eventually, you know, I got into uh like The Beatles and Queen and ABBA through them as well. And then, um, of course, you know, my school friends would be telling me about like Michael Jackson or, or whatever. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And when was there a desire for you to like play the piano? Did you did you start playing it from an early age? When did you when did you go from being the listener to like prodding instruments and pressing notes? Yeah, I definitely uh, got onto the piano as soon as, uh, you know, I had the. <laughs> the the motor control as a as an infant but um or maybe not an infant a toddler but the uh whole the the whole musical thing was just one of a lot of interests uh when I was a kid it didn't really take over until I was uh, a teenager although my parents did uh really place a high importance on piano lessons um so I was learning that from as early as possible and I did up until grade six, I think, of uh, conservatory piano, which uh, has been a really great foundation for a lot of things, even though I think uh, it's not the whole picture. And I think uh, there, there's so many different avenues uh, where, where you can learn about different aspects of music. But um, yeah, it was just sort of like one of a lot of things that I did. It was like another activity, the way that you would you know, go on a hike or uh, paint or draw um, watch TV. So it wasn't really until I was 12 or 13 that I felt like, oh, music is the best thing ever. And that's all I want to do. Probably after discovering like, um, I don't know, Nirvana and like a bit more like aggressive music that I kind of, you know, my eyes were opened and it wasn't all just, uh, happy pop from the sixties and seventies or, uh, you know, old 
white dead dudes from <laughs> 200 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, I think that's an amazing time when you start to discover music like that your parent, you know, like beyond your parents' knowledge and you start to like get immersed in 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 your own little discoveries. Um, yeah, like you say, especially things that maybe your parents don't like or the lyrics are rude <laughs> or the content, yeah, like dark. Um, but yeah, are there any sort of bands that stood out for you at that point? I think... Um Radiohead and uh, the Smashing Pumpkins were very big ones for me at that kind of pivotal time. And um, in a lot of ways, I, I feel like they hold up. You know, the the stuff that they were doing on their records was so, in some ways, you know, forward thinking. Um, it, all of it, I felt, was very layered and, uh, you know, arrangement-wise, really interesting. You know, neither of them were just like, two guitars, a bass and a drum type of bands. Um, they always like had a lot of, a lot of fun things going on, a lot of interesting production choices, um, definitely interesting songwriting choices. So those stand out to me for sure. And then at the same time, I think I was getting introduced to a whole bunch of different jazz music from, uh, my high school music teacher. So, you know, bebop was really interesting to me. Um, and then, uh, had a huge Miles Davis phase. So I feel like those were, were sort of the biggest, um, acts, I guess. But also at some point I got really into Autecker and, uh, Square Pusher. And so it was kind of like, th those were probably the big prongs, the, the electronic, very experimental side of things. And then what might be more mainstream or alternative rock. And then, um, the learning about jazz, for the first time yeah that's fascinating man that that's uh yeah that's really incredible because yeah i think those artists you mentioned like orteca uh square pusher they definitely have a foot in the jazz world uh probably square pushes the bridge between those two um so yeah i can see how they would have crossed over uh yeah crossed over for you um, yeah, and also Radiohead, I suppose, because they um, they really transformed. You know, they have really have a like a, they've they've always sort of um, they've never stayed the same. They've always like pushed themselves, haven't they? With everything yeah. they've done, including that album, uh, what was it, Amnesiac, which was really techy and weird and like very sort of IDM and glitchy. Yeah, it's been super cool, uh, you know, following them for for this long and. Um... Also, like Tom York's solo stuff, Johnny Greenwood's film scores, like they're all very, very creative on uh, another level. Yeah. Hmm. And then, so you went, you studied, uh, I, yeah, I, you would speak on another podcast about studying classical composition, but that you felt it wasn't, you, you didn't like the way it was delivered. Could you elaborate yeah, on that? Yeah. So I, I went to, um, University. I went to York University here in Toronto, and they um, they, they had a a great program for music. In that, uh, I was exposed to a lot of different stuff. So there was like courses on Brazilian music and West African drumming and uh, Indian drumming, like tablas, something that I learned for a bit. Uh, there was some music production stuff going on. There was a synthesizer course. So there was like a, a huge breadth of stuff that I don't think you would find at a lot of uh, schools, at least not, you know, back in the day when I was going. Um, but the classical side of things, I think there's just a, not a very good way to teach composition 
in a classroom um, because by its nature, you, you, you know, you're going to have 30 students sitting around and one person standing in the front of the room talking and maybe playing some examples, but that's just talking about composition. It's not composing. And I think the learning happens when you actually do something. And so when Mm. you'd have these classes like that, and then they'd give you these vague assignments, like, uh, you know, try and do something in the style of this Beethoven sonata that we listened to this class. And then you'd hand that in, you'd get a grade and two sentences, you know, scrawled on the front of your manuscript. And that, just felt like uh, not an effective way at all to learn music. Um, so I switched out of, of that uh, particular program and just uh, went for a fine arts degree where I was able to kind of more freely explore all the different uh, kind of music offerings that were there. And um, yeah, so so that I, I do definitely credit with like expanding my horizons a lot with music, just being able to to learn about things that I wouldn't ever otherwise have encountered. But as far as, uh, actually learning composition, I think that just has to happen by yourself just, just doing it, (laughs) you know, hopefully getting some tips and tricks along the way and, and, you know, listening and, um, taking things in. But, uh, yeah, I think it all happens in the act. Definitely. No, I agree with that as well. And also um, having um, having been a teacher myself at times and also having been a student, obviously, in the past. Yeah, I think you're right in terms of the way that those sorts of lesson- lessons can be delivered. There are some subjects that, um, yeah, they just they just they feel better when you're actually just doing it and, and feeling your way around it. Um, because because yeah. sometimes delivery is quite subjective. Yeah. And I think, you know, one-to-one, it could absolutely work. Um, but, you know, just by having to have like one teacher for a whole classroom, it's so hard to really get into the work because you'd want to be able to give each student a fair shake and, and you can't listen to 30 pieces in a class and, and take them in and give feedback and try things out with them. Um, yeah. Mm. I just uh, for my own experience one time in it, I was having a lesson on music history at university and we were going back through the ages of all music from from the early sort of pre-medieval even you know like all the way up to modern day and we got to I was getting really excited because we were into a few weeks into it and we got into the like the sort of 80s and 90s and I was getting really excited going yeah we're gonna do electronic music it's gonna be like the era that I'm interested in and our teacher covered one track for the entirety of electronic music he spoke about the theme from S Express which is like a rave dance track and that was it for electronic music. And I, I just yeah. remember being like so disenfranchised and disillusioned with the whole education system after that like one class. It was it was mad. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not an enviable position to try and cover that much history in in one course but yeah um, and, and it was very much you know he was very much a classically trained um uh gentleman with 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 skills in other areas um but yeah it's just a, just a sort of um as an example so um yeah i mean you've talked on other podcasts about your your early days making making music and selling songs through ebay 
And um, I think that's an incredible idea, man. And it, um, can you explain briefly what you were, what you were doing for that? Yeah, so I was uh, I was in my second year at university, and I was you know starting to think about the summer job that I would have to get. And then um, I just had this kind of flash of inspiration. Really, I still remember it. I was talking with a high school friend on. Uh, MSN Messenger, if you remember that. Like, this is so vivid to me. I was in my basement apartment chatting away on this, like, old PC with a, a friend of mine, and I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I remember from that conversation having this, you know, light bulb moment where I was like, I could... I think I had been spending a lot of time on eBay, you know, I'd you know look for good deals on guitar pedals and things like that. And then it all kind of came together when I was like, what if I put up an eBay auction, but instead of it being a, a product that I'm selling, I'm selling my skill set. And so I would just, I started, I think the, the um, auction listings would kind of talk about the genres that I was interested in, the equipment that I had, and you know what I thought my skill set could cover. And um, immediately the, the first auctions I put up would have like little bidding wars, like a couple of people somehow would stumble upon them and they'd be like $50, $60, $80. And so I think uh, on average, uh, I would be getting like one to $200 per auction. And I would uh, write whatever it was that these people were asking me for. And so it was very unique and usually quite personal stuff, like a song for their wife as an anniversary gift or there was I, I think my first ever one was for this girl who really liked nine inch nails and she wanted just a nine inch nails sounding instrumental that she could sing over. Nice. And uh there were oh there's a lot of people who wanted songs about their pets. It was like a very <laughs> yeah. bizarre, wonderful early internet sort of <laughs> situation. And um I kind of uh springboarded that into a, a website where I would post songs based on people's suggestions and I would just make these songs for free if I thought the idea was was interesting or if I thought I could turn it into kind of a joke. And I wasn't even really thinking about how this would turn out. But of course, if you make something that's quite strange or funny on the internet, it's some of the most shareable kind of content. And so people would, this was pre-social media, this was 2004, people would like email these links around to their friends. And so that's how I started building an audience. And uh, then some of those people would become my um, customers for actually commissioned work. So that was uh, how I got started. And, you know, just through that and through networking a bit, that led to proper commercial work. You know, I did some like radio and TV commercials and, um, yeah, that was that was really the beginning of of a career. Like I never ended up having to get that summer job or any other <laughs> job. <laughs> Thank God for MSN Messenger. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's bizarre. I, yeah, I, it really reminds me of. You, do you know that David Bowie quote or Bowie quote that's um, he says that about getting out of your comfort zone. He's he says like that's he said right, like never one. work in your comfort zone. Always go a bit beyond your comfort zone. Go out into the ocean until your feet just aren't touching the floor, and then mm. you're in a good space to create. It totally reminds me of what you must have been doing back then on eBay because 
you've got no idea if someone's going to say, oh, I want a break core track about my guinea pig <laughs> uh, giving birth, you know, just something crazy <laughs> and you've got to make a song out of it. So it must have been, it must have been an incredible experience in terms of being adaptable and, um, yeah, working with anything. You know, it was really cool as a as a learning experience and as a way that, uh, you know, to push my own boundaries because uh, I absolutely would get people asking for a type of music that I had never created before. Maybe occasionally one I'd never even heard of before. And I would just have to school myself on it. I would listen to tons of stuff. I thankfully had this uh, classical music theory background that allowed me to do a lot of um, pretty decent deciphering as to, you know, what types of harmony do, do these genres typically use, that kind of stuff. And so I would, between that and like one um, contact library, you know, to get a, a, an approximation of most popular instruments out there. Uh, and then, you know, I play uh, guitar electric bass, a little bit of keyboard and drums. And, um, you know, from that very limited tool set, just trying to recreate like bossa nova or like I did one song, I think the, the craziest one I ever did was like this big band, like Benny Goodman style thing. And so, uh, I played the upright bass and the drums on it. And then I hired a trumpet player and I just like, did all this pitch shifting and like, you know, warping and stuff to get that one trumpet player and on all the different parts I composed to sound like a few different horn sections and, uh, made this pretty convincing big band jazz tune. Um, so yeah, it was, it was super cool. And uh, I think just naturally I do like being in that, in that place of, of your, your feet, just not touching the, the ocean floor. I think that is just where I is more exciting to create, and so I'll, I just end up there. Yeah, <laughs> I, in my own work too. <laughs> definitely, I mean it's brilliant, and I think it's translated so well to where you are now as a YouTuber in terms of like the content you deliver. Because um, yeah, you're delivering. Uh, a lot of people sort of go in a niche, and 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 they stick to their thing, and and they rise to. They rise to you know huge levels of popularity through through one direction only. Whereas the way you've come at it and the way your videos are, it's it's just this absolute broad spectrum of everything to do with making music, sound design, production, um, foley stuff, um, and limitation as well. You work a lot with limitation. Um, where did where did the because uh, I think creatively, limitation is one of the most powerful things that you can you can do. Where did you start like working with limitations? Where did that sort of come from? I think uh, it kind of happened naturally, just because it would be uh, it would come from a place of me exploring a concept. Like uh, if I really wanted to, uh, you know, I got into this kind of foley based music, for instance, and um, just out of interest of, you know, wanting to incorporate more unique sounds in my music. Uh, cause growing up, you know, you, you listen to all these things and everybody's playing a, a proper instrument that, uh, you know, they've at least uh, practiced on quite a bit. And, um, I started just feeling like, Oh, what if I, you know, use what's lying around here? I've got some 
paper and a water bottle and pots and pans and like just seeing, you know, what, what, what could be done with that? I think that was where it started. And then, um, the, the way that the internet works, I guess, kind of, um, made that more pronounced because the more absurd the item was that I was making music on, or the more, um, the more focus there was on that limitation, the more, uh, compelling the content seemed, you know, because if I just had a piece of music where like occasionally I play a bit of a pot and pan (laughs) rhythm somewhere, you know, no one's really going to look, but if all the sounds come from pots and pans, well, that's a little more interesting. If all the sounds come from pants, well, that's a million views. (laughs) So, uh, it just kind of like, you know, one thing led to another there. And and then, uh, I realized that that that's kind of a very fun, as well as an easy story to tell, to just have this limitation be at the forefront. Um, yeah, like your fidget spinner video. Um, it's it's such a genius yeah. idea because it's not only like it's not only a great concept in itself. Uh, so make a track before the fidget spinner stops spinning. Um, you also put a spin on the idea, which is that you give yourself <laughs> ages to for it to keep spinning, which is amazing. I think that's absolutely genius. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite examples of just, you know, using the way that content and YouTube works to one's advantage because um, that's not a video that would have worked in any year other than 2017. (laughs) And I had this single that I was going to be promoting. And so doing the beat on Ableton Push while the fidget spinner spun was just like this perfect, incredibly cheap marketing (laughs) tool, really. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, at different times in my career, I've either been very, uh, active in terms of looking for those kinds of things and making that kind of like really, uh, you know, super flash in the pan shareables type of stuff. And then at other times, like right now, I feel like I'm not really focused too much on that. And I'm just like creating what's interesting to me and, and building a bit more of, um, an audience around music production and, and creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Because your videos, they, I was watching your interview with Nick Bat from Sonic State at uh, oh, yeah. Superbooth from a couple of years ago, which was a really fascinating interview. And um, it, Nick pointed out about the way that your videos like bridge between the advanced level people and the beginners. Um, and I know from my teaching experience, that's that's a very difficult sort of line to walk. So you do it really, really well. How do you how do you approach an idea and, and make sure that it that it covers like your entire audience? Yeah, I appreciate that. I It's um, it's something that I haven't been thinking about as much lately, uh, to be honest. I think I've gotten quite I guess I feel like so many things. Uh, on my channel have been covered a lot in some of the videos I made a few years ago that maybe I'm in general going a little bit more intermediate advanced these days, but I definitely, I always try to think about, um, you know, what's really interesting about this idea and how can I communicate that in a way that, um, you don't need a whole lot of prior knowledge to understand it. And then, you know, hopefully that means if you're just beginning, you can get enough out of it that uh, it's useful to you, but also if you're, you know, someone who's been doing this for years, it's, we're also looking at something in a bit of a unique way or the, you know, the, the topic itself is interesting enough that uh, you also feel like you're learning a little something new. Um, so I think that that's kind of how I, I look at it. I know uh, one thing that 
throughout my life always kind of was a, I don't know, a weakness, let's say, was that I'm very concise a lot of the time. So like I would really have trouble getting an essay to the right word length or like my, you know, people I'd be in relationships with were like, you got to communicate more, you know, all the other kind of things. But I think this has turned out to be a strength for me on YouTube because I've, I, I think I have this skill of like finding the shortest possible way to convey an idea, the shortest and simplest way, mm. which doesn't necessarily work if you're, you know, wanting to write an essay or have a very deep, long conversation, but to like, you know, make a snappy video, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a skill in itself, really just being, con uh, conveying an idea simply. I often think, you know, um, uh, whenever anyone's thinking of new software or, uh, anything like that, like if they can convey exactly what they're making in about 10 words, then, uh, mm. it's a, it's probably, uh, the idea is going to propagate better than if you have to sort of explain and go, yeah, but then if you, you know, if you go on some really convoluted explanation of what you're making, yeah, simplicity, I think is key. Um, yeah, I think also there's a, there's a sort of sense of, I mean, there are loads of film directors that, that, that do very clean um, visuals, but like Wes Anderson style, like very clean, simple colours, not overloading visually, uh, not overloading people visually as well. That helps, you know, because I think in in your visuals alone, there's a lot of fun, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of like excitement there as well. So um, yeah, you you really do that stuff really well too, man. Oh, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I am a big Wes Anderson fan, and I think um, I actually really I uh, appreciate the YouTubers who have this beautiful like darker sort of moody thing where you know their face is only half lit and then the rest of their room is all dark and like you know, these deep wood tones and everything. And I, I feel like that's such a great look and I don't know how to do it. And, and, you know, my vibe is just like, everything's as bright as possible, but, um, you know, it, it also works. Yeah, I did want to add, um, on the, the, the topic of communicating those ideas before, I think another big thing is that I, I'm just always thinking about the results, the musical results. And I feel like I watch so many videos on YouTube about, uh, I don't know, a technique or a piece of gear or something. And, um, you know, people will go the whole video just talking and, and you don't get to hear what it is that they're talking about. And so I think that has been a, just a big thing that, you know, helps for the audience is like when you're, <laughs> when you're showing them where these things lead you and how they'll be useful in your own process, that's so much better than like, well, here's the list of technical specifications for this product <laughs> yeah. or like here's all the other people who are using this in their work like yeah I think it's I'm very very you know results driven <laughs> yeah I think yeah I think you translate you translate those things really well and there is like an immediacy to I mean your your video you did recently about different time signatures I mean even yeah the immediacy of explaining the um uh, I'm going to forget what they're called now, polyrhythm, polymetric and polyrhythm. Like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was a very instantly, oh, I do, you know, like it, it, like you say in the video, it does seem like a complicated idea, but if someone just shows you within two or three seconds, you know exactly what they're talking about. This is my particular bugbear with modular, which is when someone talks at me for 20 to 30 minutes about a module <laughs> and I still haven't actually just heard what it does. I, must, <laughs> yeah. I just want to hear it, mate, you know? 
I think my favorite example of this was I was watching a demo of a, uh, a guitar like rack effect and they showed it for like a few seconds right at the beginning of the video. And then the rest of it, you actually were hearing it, but uh, the guy would like have it off screen. So you were watching him play and then he'd like fiddle with the settings and you wouldn't see anything about what he was doing. Mm. So just, um, yeah, a little bit of thought about that goes a long way. Definitely, definitely. Um, I love your studio, by the way, your completely white studio. Uh, it's Thank amazing. <laughs> Is there? It's I, just. Uh, go on. Uh, by. Uh, I, I really love being in art galleries. That's sort of like the main inspiration. And I think it's it's been a little bit of a love hate thing. Some people are like, "How do you stand it in there?" And other people are, you know, really appreciative of the the openness and and blankness of it. I think it's amazing. The only thing that does worry me is. How do you know there's not like a giant polar bear in there somewhere and you just can't see him? <laughs> I guess I never will. <laughs> I'll never know. <laughs> it's a risk I'm going to take. That is literally the only thing I think. I think it's an amazing studio. Is there any is there any gear that you've got there that you use that you've had from like childhood? Is there any piece of equipment that you've sort of grown up with and gone, I am never going to let this drum machine or... Anything I mean, my goes. first guitar, I don't think I could ever let go of. I've got um, this white and gold uh, Ibanez Talman from, uh, I think, late 80s, early 90s. I got it used when I first started playing guitar in my teens. And um, yeah, I thought, you know, it's just, it's got too much sentimental value to me, even though for probably most of my gear, I'm not that sentimentally attached. But uh, I'm just trying to like look around here and see if there's anything. Oh, you know what? There's a few. Um, I really like the Boss digital delay pedals. Um, I think I've got, at one point I had like the DD2, DD3, DD5, DD6. I, th I don't know. They each had their own slightly different character with how the, uh, what, especially with what happened when you changed the delay time knob live. Uh, I think I still have two of those. And uh, yeah, I just really like those. Um, man, no, there's probably not much else. There's a lot of, shuffling and cycling of gear over here. Um, although a few newer things that I've gotten in the last couple of years will probably stay around for a very long time. You know, my, my Genelec monitors, um, usually I track my vocals through, um, uh, universal audio LA 610. And, um, now that I've gotten into modular, there's a few like choice modules that I feel like will just always have application. So yeah. yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I think um, through my experience and the people I know, there's always a piece of gear that you just really connect with. And, and sometimes it's totally illogical. Like it doesn't, it's really difficult to use it, but you just love this this weird box that everyone else thinks is a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, do you have one of those? I guess mine uh, would, yeah, it has to be the FBO one, which is a really obscure, oh, okay. Never used one. really obscure FM four operator FM synth, which is one of those black boxes with like no knobs on it. It's just you have to program it through Sysx. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I, it took me through nine Sysx. years to make an editor for it. So it's oh, a, it's a tough, complicated <laughs> beast. <laughs> prolifically released uh, albums it everything i read said you've released 50 albums by now is that is that a bigger number i think it it's hard to say 
because uh, I don't really count them or anything. But uh, yeah, and it's also I think there's been a little bit of a weird. Well, I'll say it's it can't be much more than that because I've been less prolific in the last year. I've been doing a lot more with videos, and I just put out an app. I put out an online course, but um, the. I think it's it, we're in an interesting time where the line between EP and album is kind of blurry. I think it's more common for people to do what would be called a double album before, uh, you know, what would have to be spread across two discs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of releases that are in kind of the four to eight song range. And sometimes I'm, I'm tempted to call them albums and other times I'm not sure if that quite fits. Maybe not on the four song ones, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I've been listening to a lot of them, and I, I love the, the 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 scale of the diversity within within your music. Thank you. It really is fantastic. Um, Mike Oldfield's album uh, Tubular Bells that came out in the seventies was pretty controversial because I think one side was one track, and people were like, "Oh, you can't you can't do that. That's not an album. <laughs> one track on one side is ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, everyone likes to have their neat categories that uh, things fit into but uh, I think the the more we we press forward we uh, is just, there's just more things that are possible so yeah now with Spotify it's like anything of any length could probably go on actually I did try to look into what the maximum maximums of, of various kinds would be on Spotify. Like what's the most number of tracks you could have on a release or what's the longest, you know, duration of time that could be allowed on a release. I didn't mm. really find a clear answer to that, but, um, seems like you could do just about anything. Yeah. I wonder, they must have parameters. There must be sort of limitations that they have like shortest and longest mm. amount of tracks. Yeah. I wonder if you could do like an, a thousand track album, like, worlds, yeah, yeah. how many like discs, how many CDs does that come or... on? Um, two hour long yeah so yeah your app then um, uh, yeah it looks amazing man can you tell me about tell us about like the development of it Um, when was the inception of the idea for that yeah so this app is called Flip and it's uh, it's only in the app store right now but we're very much looking into uh, bringing it to Android Um, so I thought of this first probably about five years ago and I was really just thinking about the sampling workflow and how to make it a little quicker, how to make it more spontaneous because for me, there's usually a barrier to between finding a sound I want to use and then actually creating with it. You know, if you're dealing with a sampler and you've got to have it all set up, you got to have the right connections and you, you know, will be doing some trimming. I remember, you know, working with an MPC, you've got that like jog wheel thing or, you know, every device has its own way of doing it. Um, and then also, uh, I mean, with a DAW, you have to decide like, are you going to drag it into a drum rack or, you know, spread it across, map it across the keys. Um, uh, there's just a, a few too many little hurdles and they're not big hurdles, but it would be enough that if I found a really interesting sound and recorded it on my phone, I would most likely never end up actually using it because I'd have to <laughs> send it to my computer and then, you know, bring it into Ableton, decide, you know, what plugins and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I started thinking about basically what the ideal workflow would be for, uh, if I were out and about, came across an interesting sound and wanted to 
make music with it. Uh, and it, it started as an idea for a hardware device, but I quickly realized that it would be much more effective as an app because uh, I wouldn't even have to think about bringing this hardware with me. I'd already have it on me no matter where I was, if it was on my phone. And um, the sampling workflow that we managed to get into it is is pretty sweet. It's It's basically, you know, a tap to record a sound. And as soon as you stop recording, it's already on a pad. It's already mapped across a keyboard. It's already going through uh, a chain of effects. Um, we'd like to add some more effects, but right now we've got four effects plus a parametric EQ. So um, it's really quick. And I think that's uh, one of its greatest strengths, but also as far as you know, what else is available in the world of apps, I think it's uh, one of the more robust options because you can sequence, you can have different length uh, tracks um, within a pattern, like each uh, channel can have its own length, each automation lane can have its own length, and we have 19 automatable parameters, and you can just draw automation curves with your finger, which is really cool. Um, there's some live effects that can be applied with these uh, sliders on one page, and um, you can arrange pa the, oh, the song arrangement, the, the pattern chaining is like super fast as well, just dragging and dropping really. So, uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I came up with a lot of these ideas early on and then eventually just about, uh, well, coming up on three years ago, I found the developers, uh, that I would be able to partner with to bring it to life. Cause I'm very much not a coder, but, uh, yeah, we kind of went back and forth on, um, Slack and Skype a whole bunch over the last couple of years to uh, to kind of bring it to life and and they definitely helped with with fleshing out some of these ideas and um, I think it's it's turned out to be a really great tool for a lot of people already. Yeah, it looks fantastic, man. It looks really good, um, especially because in our early days of sampling, I suppose we were quite limited in how long we were able to sample for. Um, True. So yeah, it's amazing to have that on hand immediacy. Um, and to, can you, can you layer multiple samples in it? How many tracks are you able to put together in it? Yeah. So it's a nine channel sampler and, um, there's no sample layering, but we are actually working on an update where we will have slicing. And so you could do kind of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with how the OP1 drum kits work, but basically you, you could load in a wave file that's got 30 sounds in it and then slice those up and those would be mapped across the keys. So we will eventually have, you know, you could use one channel as your full drum kit, let's say, uh, that that's an update coming soon. But for now it's, uh, one sample of up to 60 seconds per pad and we've got nine pads. Excellent, man. It, the, that workflow sounds to me very much like the K, the pocket operator KO. Yeah, uh, having, for sure. When they, when I that came out, I was a little worked. mad, I love but, that uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely workflow wise. It's quite similar for getting samples in and immediately playing with them. But then I think we've we've augmented that a lot with uh, what else you're able to do in Flip. Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, I love the immediacy and the uh, the sequence ability of the POKO. But I think, yeah, you've sort of taken that what you're do what you're able to do there with your software with like envelopes and uh, yeah, effects. Yeah, it's, it's sort of beyond beyond that and also like the price point is amazing i think you've really made that accessible to to a lot of people yeah that was one of the other thoughts too which is also why you know i'm i'm sad we couldn't do an android release at the same time it was really important for me at the beginning to make this as accessible as possible but um we're pretty 
we feel good about what it's looking like for Android. I don't want to promise anything, but we think we'll be able to do it eventually. And so basically it was about, you know, focusing our, our energy and the, and the costs to have a, a very good app and basically not having to develop two apps at once because the two platforms have their own, uh, requirements, of course. But then, yeah, we wanted to make it about $10, um, just to make this kind of music making uh, more accessible to people. Yeah, it's really great, man. It's it looks really really cool. Unfortunately, my mobile phone is very much old technology. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I'll I'll have to wait for the VST version or something. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, I think um uh yeah what you what you do is really incredible, and you do cover from yeah from like your weird gear series. I really like the weird gear. The Thank weird you. gear stuff. I, I always want to do more of those, but uh, I have two. I have doing that series, and I'm doing four producers, and I'm doing Theory Thursday now. And I don't know. I wish I could do one of each of these like every week. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that? There's a book called Electronic Toy Instruments. Have you ever seen oh, that no, book? No, no, haven't seen that. Oh, you'd love it, man. It's loads of like a lot of Japanese like kids' toys, but they're electronic musical instruments. Um, there's Japanese ones. There's also, I guess there's some other ones, but mostly they're just like way out electronic synths that are all like kids toys. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. You'd love it, man. It'd be a great Christmas present for you. Um, uh, I'll, I'll find it and I'll put it in, I'll send you a link to it. It's, it's really, really, that would be great for weird gear because some of, some of that stuff's way out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So you also have your Patreon. Yeah. That's right. I've been on Patreon since almost the very beginning uh, when it launched because I actually I followed Jack Conti and his, I was a, just a fan of his music since the early days of YouTube. So when he announced that, I was like right on it. Excellent. So what's the what's the setup for anyone that um, follows you on Patreon? What what do they what do they get from doing that? Yeah, um, I keep my Patreon pretty simple. It's just if you're a patron, uh, I'll send you all the music that I ever release and then, uh, you know, keep you up to date on all the videos. And I will uh, sometimes post the videos a bit early. And then um, it's uh, at most uh, one paid post per week. Like even if I do multiple videos in a week, I just kind of bundle them all into one post. And then uh, there's a tier of at $5 and up, I'd also send you any of the sample packs that I put out. Um, and that's, you know, often stuff that ends up happening in my videos. Like the, uh, this past summer I used a hydrophone, which is like a contact mic that can be put underwater and I froze it and I boiled it. That was amazing. Yeah. So there's some bizarre sounds out of that. So like (laughs) uh, all those sounds right now are only available to those patrons. So stuff like that. It's a, it's a good time. That's so cool, man. I love that idea. Like, I, I just think you've got such an amazing way of, of, of um, yeah, finding ideas and, and, and uh, just pulling, pulling things, pulling things together. Like, have you, what have you, what have you been most surprised by in recording over the years that's, that's created an amazing sound from perhaps a rather mundane or meaningless object? I think the best one still is one of my early ones, which is, uh, using balloons. And I, uh, was actually, I was touring Germany or about to tour Germany. And I was trying to think of a way to promote these German tour dates. So I was like, Oh, maybe I can cover a German song. And I don't know too many German songs, but 99 Luft balloons or 99 red balloons as the English speaking world knows it, um, came to mind. And then 
I had been doing the occasional cover song where I would try to use an item mentioned in the song as an instrument. And so, you know, all of that came together here where I was like, well, maybe I could use only balloons to produce every sound I would need to to do a a cover of this song. And it sounds bonkers because it's so like squeaky and, uh, you know, there's all these popping sounds. It's definitely... (laughs) Probably so few pieces of music in the history of the world have covered this particular, you know, frequency spectrum. (laughs) It's just such a bizarre um, sound. Uh, But I was really uh, pleasantly surprised at how versatile balloons can be because you can like slowly let air out of them. You can pop them. You can scratch them. You can, um, you know, roll them up into kind of a string that you can pluck. Um, So uh, it was very very fun and rewarding working with balloons. And I don't think any other item I've used has had that much, you know, diversity sonically. Yeah, I mean, an amazing thing. I think the joy and the adventure is translated so well in your videos, and that's a really, really good example of it. Um, yeah, because I think um, there's a lot of gas. There's, like, ga- uh, gear acquisitions. Um, mm-hmm. I've forgotten what the S stands for. Uh, yeah, syndrome. <laughs> syndrome, syndrome, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a lot of that, and I think it's wonderful that you're putting out a video with balloons in with balloons in it that you know a kid who's sort of in in their teens can sit around and wow I could do that you know it's it's quite inspiring stuff yeah no I appreciate that I think um I'm glad that those videos work because I I do really believe that music making should be and is a lot more accessible than maybe we tend to think about it as and uh at the same time, of course, I'm getting sent all this cutting edge gear quite often and uh, I'm like working with rare or expensive things sometimes. And so I, I, I like that uh, even though that is the case in a lot of my videos, I can also very clearly demonstrate that you don't really need much at all to have a good time and to create something that sounds good. Definitely. And I think with artists like Billie Eilish, you know, that that, that oh, style yeah. of production it's it really opens it up to to everyone to go yeah i don't need like this 16000 pound synthesizer you know i can just click my fingers and and whisper into the mic and yeah obviously yeah. that's not all of it but you know it's it's more accessible uh, more accessible than ever i was also uh, <laughs> i was i had a little moment of i don't know i don't know i was i was a tiny bit mad that they uh, sampled that Australian crosswalk sound in, um, was it Bad Guy, I think? Um, Because that's a sound that I remember loving when I was actually touring Australia at one point. I was like, I've got to use that in a track. Uh, But uh, I'm glad somebody did it and it became a a huge hit. (laughs) That's amazing, man. I thought you were going to say you'd put it in one of your videos and she'd nick the idea and put it in her track. Um, Um, No, no. I have have a similar thing. I have a similar thing. You know, tuk-tuks in uh, India. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I love the sound of the tuk-tuks, but I, I had my portable recorder with me when I went to India and I never, I didn't for some reason ever get any recordings because they're so like rhythmical, but the accents mm. of all of the, the accents of all of the, uh, the, the rhythms are all totally changeable. Um, oh, so cool. it's super 
polymetric, mm. <laughs> polyrhythmic. It'd be cool to get a, a whole bunch of tuk tuks and create a piece live with them. <laughs> that would be amazing. Honestly, I used to sit in the back of tuk tuk just like just listen to this jazz music happening. It's really, they're really, <laughs> oh, really, really cool. Really Do cool. you spend a lot of time in India? I traveled for about five or six months in India. And I also, mm, I worked, I did a thing called work away, which is like you, you, you work, you do a full day's work and you get accommodation and food. Nice. So I worked in like, yeah, hotels. I worked as an English teacher out there. Um, so yeah, it was good. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, loved that's it. such a cool experience. Yeah, it was great, man. It was really, really good. Um, outside of music, away from sort of music tech, um, where do you, yeah, what, what do you enjoy doing? What else do you enjoy doing? I mean, I'm definitely pretty focused on music. Um, I, uh, just a few things, really. I uh, do enjoy travel. I, you know, we can't really do much of that this year, but uh, when possible, love to just, uh, you know, explore a completely different type of place to what I'm used to. Um, I feel like the things that I do are, uh, I play a bit of chess now and then play a bit of video games and, um, I like reading. Um, and, uh, I can't even think there's one other thing that I, oh, I'm just, just exercising. <laughs> These are my, uh, my few little, um, pastimes i guess nice man that's really cool and um yeah congratulations on your baby that you announced thank you so much oh yeah a couple very of excited. weeks ago yeah very exciting you got the first beat the first beat yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's really fun um just thinking that you know i i made this little piece of music with uh, the heartbeat that we recorded and one day she'll hear it and you know understand what that means and i mean just i don't know thinking about what it's going to mean to have a a kid and watch him grow up is just amazing. Yeah. Really fantastic, man. Really good. And, um, your, your wife also, I don't, I don't know if she has the same surname now, but she, her surname was Bowser, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A great she has computer game surname. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I think she's been a big fan of that all her life. <laughs> yeah. That's genius. That's so good. Do you have, um, yeah, do you have any like mantra or philosophy for life? Huh, not really, but I guess um, in, I don't have a, a cute, perfect way that I put it, but I, I've found in recent years that focusing on the joyful things is, is the best way through. And, you know, it's... Uh, I think that's how I've shaped a lot of my content and it's how I kind of, uh, decide how to prioritize my day. And I think that's been a, a big part of, um, I don't know, the, the energy that's translated into the, the, this audience that I've got and also, um, just my own enjoyment of life. <laughs> definitely, man. Well, yeah, I think that joy, that joy and sense of wonder is, is definitely translated in your videos. Like it's, you know, they're really colorful, they're really engaging, they're really engrossing. Um, so yeah, that is definitely translated in, in what you're doing. I'm glad to hear I that. I believe you've got, uh, you do, do you have a bit of a team of people helping you? Yeah, uh, it's been uh, kind of different at different times. Um, when I was trying to do a lot of content, uh, I had two video editors, um, and that's just because, like, so for example, for something like four producers, it's probably a full-time week of editing, 
um, just to like have, you know, cause we have three producers and me doing a, a breakdown of a track and those, we, we usually edit them, uh, for the, the, the guests. And so some of them will send hours of footage. Some, there was one person who live streamed their entire track creation. So we got like 20 something hours of footage from them. Um, so wow. it really helps to have a couple other people uh, to tackle that right now. I just have one, um, my, my brother-in-law actually, uh, who helps with just anything video related that I might need. So he does a bit of the editing. He, if there's ever like a moving camera, where I'm in the shot, you know, I'm not controlling the camera that that'll be him. And then he also, um, uh, you know, there are some times where I just like to do a really casual visual effect. Like there was one video where I just threw my guitar at the wall and it perfectly landed on its hanger. <laughs> and so just things like that, I'm like, this will be so fun. And, uh, I don't know how to do it, but you know, my brother-in-law is a genius at that kind of stuff. And he'll spend like half a day just working on that three seconds of this video, but I feel like stuff like that, you know, throwing it in once in a while just keeps people on their toes and is real fun. So, um, yeah, it's, it's him helping with some of the editing. I always at least do a solid pass on every video because I I just, you know, it has to be in my voice. But, um, then, uh, my wife is also, uh, on board just as like admin and management and, um, helping to deal with all the emails that come in. And, um, I have uh, also a bit of help on the social media side of things. It's not always me posting. I mean, it often is, but I also have someone who just helps come up with post ideas and uh, also does some of the actual, like typing it into Instagram or Twitter and pressing send. Oh God, man, that's <laughs> so a good that's save. helpful. That's a good. It's save. really Cause, helpful because ju- you think that stuff should be so fast, but actually, you know, it can take half an hour, 45 minutes sometime to like get the thing up. It might not send through. You might have the picture in the wrong format. And then, you know, there's all these things that actually take you up your day. (laughs) I actually quit. I quit Twitter this year just because I felt like it was really taking a lot of my creative energy away. I was putting creative energy into that. So yeah, I, I really, I really, I really understand why you've done that sort of thing. And um, don't you find it mad when people go, when people are like, Oh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, Discord, like you know, people are now listing like they're on like ten social media platforms. It's like, where's your life? When does your life fit into this world? You know. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's nuts. I think, um, you know, it's it's a weird necessity in in uh, having a, a career as a creative these days. But I think you you also can have a choice over which ones you're going to engage with or to how how much and. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for, for some people, I think it's great that they just completely omit one of those major platforms and you don't have to be on all of them. Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. Just, um, yeah, I, to mention your uh, four producers, one sample thing, it's such a brilliant idea. It works so well. Um, yeah, especially I really enjoyed the last one, Cuckoo, uh, Rachel K. Collier oh, and... Yeah. Um, Jeremy from Red Rings Recording. Uh, yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, though they're they're all so great. Um, yeah, no, I mean that that series uh, has been really fun to do, and I I think it's just it encapsulates almost everything about what I want to share about music, which is that uh, a lot of different people can do it with a lot of different setups, and also everybody has their own kind of creative 
voice. And even if you start from the same place, the results are completely different. And I love being able to, to celebrate that. Definitely. You know, that is so true. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's celebrating the creativity of each of those individuals and also like the trajectories of that one sample goes, goes in so many different directions. And it's, it's a bit of a shout out for maybe companies like Splice or, you know, Loop Cloud, the way that some people would maybe belittle them for being like, oh, pre-processed loops, pre-processed loops. But in actual fact, if you download a pre-processed loop and I download one and someone in Russia downloads one, we're all going to go on our own little journey with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been fond of saying lately that uh, a, a guitar or any instrument is kind of like a preset, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like a, it's, uh, I, I think, you know, there's, there's reasons why some people get the wrong idea about sampling and there's probably examples of songs where the sampling was not creative at all, of course. But, um, I think it's, it's really the same kind of thing. You have a, a tool of some kind that allows you to express yourself and you can be really creative with it, or you can kind of just like take it as it is, do what everyone else has already done with it, or or do make the obvious choice with it. Um, so yeah, I think it, it really is in the hands of each creative. Absolutely, it's a superb idea, and it works really well, especially because they all go off into their channels and talk to their audience about the process as well. It's just mm -hmm. in terms of being like a YouTube content thing. The, or it's just a winner for the audience all around it's great you know like if they if your audience love one particular producer's track they can go in and and see the detail on that hopefully it's not 27 hours uh long <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah nice man well thank you so much for speaking to me today andrew it's been really really good yeah, yeah. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, yeah. Really I love it. what you do, and um, I'll put um, I'll put all of your links and and things like that in in the show notes and stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Would it be possible to grab the your your hand clap sample and put it at the end so we could like high five at the end? Is that cool? Oh yeah, we could just. I mean, I I actually do it fresh each video. I just clap, and then I have the right room tone and everything oh no way man that's great yeah so oh, I that's just, cool i'll give you one here nice one thank you so much nice. andrew. yeah well thanks a lot oh it was really good to speak to andrew uh he's an amazing guy and um he's really phenomenally talented in so many areas i've got a lot of respect for the way that he um incorporates sound design and synthesis and modular and production in his videos um, and is able to walk those different paths very, very, very comfortably. Great. So please don't forget there is a GoFundMe page for the podcast. If you would like to donate a few pounds or dollars, it would be greatly appreciated. And next month in the new year, we are talking to a guitarist who is from the Welsh Valley about her amazing Thank you very much for listening. I'm Midiera. Have a good, and I'll see you again soon.